Let me begin starting with a question. If you were to pray for your family, children, or your wife, or, or your husband, or your neighbor, perhaps that they, that they, that they believe is, let's, let's assume that they believe is, what would you pray for, for them, that they may grow spiritually? What would be your prayer like, that they may grow spiritually? In fact, we'll take it a little bit more closer to home. If you're praying for Saving Grace Bible Church, what would your prayer be like that this church and individually people will grow spiritually? Now, we're in Philippians this morning, so turn to Philippians chapter 1. And as you know, Paul has already been giving these believers a blessing of his heart. He says, when I remember you, oh, I am so joyful in praying for you. I am so joyful, I cannot contain it. Why? Because you are participating with me in the, the gospel. And I'm celebrating with you and what God has begun in you. And I see it. And I yearn for you even as I'm in, in prison because you are partakers with me in the gospel. This is Paul. He's revealing his heart to these people. And as we know, Paul Next to Jesus is one of the greatest Christians who ever walked planet Earth. Uh, Paul was, was a, 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 an evangelist. Paul was one of the greatest church planters. Uh, Paul was a great leader. Paul was a great shepherd and a humble teacher. But Paul was a man of prayer. Paul was a man who completely relied on God. He relied on God because he could not do anything else. And his desire was for Christ to be magnified. I pray that this morning before we read our text in chapter 1, 9 to 11, that we will pay attention to this prayer as to what we ought to pray for as to what we ought to pray for, that we may be encouraged as to what Paul is saying to this church. We need to hear this this morning, brothers and sisters, because Paul has such an affection for this church that Christ will be manifested in the midst of it, and he shows that in his affection, in his prayer, after his greetings. At the end of his greetings, he will reveal his affection as to why and what he will be praying for, a church who is already active. The Apostle Paul is known for praying. When he prays for the Ephesian church, he prays that they will grow in knowledge and in wisdom of Christ, that Christ will open their eyes and their hearts, that they may behold his beauty and they will know the riches of his glory in heaven and on earth and under the earth. When Paul prays for the Colossian church, he prays that they will be walking worthy and pleasing the Lord in their life and bearing much fruit and increasing at that. He prays for Timothy. He prays for Philemon. He prays for the Thessalonians. Why? That they will grow and they will bear much fruit. And his affections are revealed in his prayer this morning. Paul, you see, brothers and sisters, did not pray that these believers of Philippi will have a happy and joyful life. He did not. He did not pray for them for their safety. No. He did not pray for them to have finances. He thanked them for the finances, but he did not pray for them for that. Not that it's not important, but his focus was greater than that. He did not pray for their health. He did not pray that they would get a greater job or he did not pray for their children, that they may be prosperous. He did not pray for that. He did not pray for the physical, but the spiritual. Let me ask you then another question. Have you ever wondered? And I'm sure if you're a Christian, you'll have to say yes. Why? When God saved you, he left you here. Why didn't he just take you home already? Right? Well, let me read you Isaiah 43.7. Talking of Israel, the application is to you as well. 
everyone who's called by my name, whom I have created for my glory. God left the church here to glorify him. God left the church here to glorify him. We ought to be living our lives to glorify God. We ought to be living our Christian life in anticipation of Christ's coming. We should have Christ on our mind, Christ in, in, in our ears through the word, Christ in our eyes in everything that we do and anticipate until he comes home and long for him until he takes us home. We're not supposed to live our lives with Jesus on our mind and hypocrisy in our hearts. We're not supposed to live our lives to say, Jesus, lay down his life for me and I live selfishly. We're not supposed to say, Jesus loves me unconditionally and I've got absolutely no love for anybody. We're not meant to look at Christ and see how active he was on planet Earth only to be a spectator and look at Christ. No. And then we call that Christianity. We say that we're loving Jesus Christ. That is false, brothers and sisters. I entitled this sermon this morning, Praying for Spiritual Growth in the Church. Praying for Spiritual Growth in the Church. And we're going to cover five aspects in Paul's prayer here that we will do well to understand, to grow into, to grow into. So please read with me these few verses. Remember, if you haven't heard the other sermons, I would encourage you, if you belong to Saving Grace Bible Church and you want to make this your home, keep up with the sermons that you missed out. Because we do go through the Bible verse by verse. We exposit. Where's this been expositing for years? Mark. You want to know something about Mark? Don't look at someone else that you don't know. Go and see what Sam sermon and pay attention to what he said. Because you belong to this church and we know how we ought to encourage you to do that. Paul has been blessing this church already in his greetings. Now we come to what Paul makes a massive emphasis here from verse 9. And look at that with me in chapter 1. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Here's your first aspect. Love. Love. Paul now begins to say, listen, I've told you how much I love you. I yearn for you with the affections of Jesus Christ. I know that you're participating with me. By the way, I really want you to pay attention to this, brothers and sisters. Paul is saying to these believers, Right? You have been faithful in running this race for 10 years. Right? And you have been growing for 10 years. And then he tells them to abound. So he's not talking to a lazy Christian. He's not talking to a tick in the box Christian. He's already talking to healthy Christians. And he's saying, This is my prayer for you that your love the one that you already have, will abound still more. Now, we often joke here at Saving Grace Bible Church, for those of you who have been here with us for a long time or maybe a short period of time, we said this often. We joke about the word, what's love got to do with it, right? And we giggle about it when we actually put the world's love and the Bible's love. And we say, ha, 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 what's love got to do with it? Well, let me explain to you why we say that. We say that because the worldly love is self-centered. It's me, myself, and I. It's self-exalting. It elevates itself. It, it, it seeks its own interest. It's self-seeking. 
it seeks its own pleasure. It's about romance and sentiment. It's about loving, number one. It's about number one. And that's why we say, what's love got to do with it? It has nothing to do with it. What I'm here to tell you, those of you who are truly born again, biblical love has everything to do with Christianity. Biblical love has everything to do with Christianity. And according to Paul, we must grow into that love because without growing into that love, you're not going to get anywhere. Biblical love is supernatural. It's not of this world. It's supernatural. And the scripture tells us in 1 John that we know that we have passed from death to life when? When we hate the brethren, right? Or when we live ungodly, when we live into the world, when we do whatever we want, when we're self-seeking and selfish. No, it does not. It says we know that we've passed from death to life when we love the brethren and he who does not abides in death. 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Verse 16 of chapter 4 and verse uh, uh, 1 John, God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. And when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatian, what is the first thing mentioned? Love, peace and joy. But we forget love. I'm very peaceful. I'm very joyful. And what can hinder you to grow in your love? It is the love of the world. Your love for the world will hinder you to grow in your love for Christ. The apostle also said in 1 John, do not love the world and the things in the world. Do not. This is a command. If anyone loves the world, he says the love of the Father is not in him. This is a massive thing. Biblical love is not selfish, but it's selfless. And Paul is encouraging this church who was already selfless to become what? More selfless. What's Paul saying to this church if they're already for 10 years serving one another, outdoing one another? He says, do not be content. Do not be happy. Don't stay at the same level. If you love, you must grow in that love. Why? Because love reveals the very character of God himself. Jesus said, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the, 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 the greatest and foremost command, commandment, right? But then he says the second is like it. You love your neighbor as yourself. How do I cultivate the love of God and express it to others? Well, you must fulfill the first one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and only then you're going to fulfill loving your brethren. If Christ is love and he lives in us, then what must we do? We must love. If Christ gave himself up for us out of love, then we must love. If spiritual growth in our life is from love, then we must Love and grow in love. Love must be the Christian priority in life because everything else stems from it. It's all good and well when we joke about love of the world, but how are you loving? How are you loving? Biblical love is active. It's not just from above, but it's active. This I pray, Paul says that your love will grow still more and more. It will grow in affection, that your desires will grow, that every fiber of your being that is being poured out by Christ, in Christ, through Christ, to you by the Holy Spirit will increase. That's what it means to abound, that it will multiply in greatness and it will be exposed like a flood of waters. 
when I'm meant to stay there in the same love, this love is not passive. It's not a, an emotional, fuzzy feeling, goosebump driven love. That is not the love of the Bible. That's the love of the world. The love of the Bible is active. It is a person who is willing to intentionally choose to serve another and put them above himself. That's the love of the Bible. I had a man once who spoke to me about the love of God. I have a brother, he's a Christian, he doesn't go to church, he doesn't belong anywhere, but he loves everybody. Is that what you see in the Bible? How is that possible? How is it possible for a man who does not belong to a local church and love anybody? That's not the love of the Bible. The first people, the primary people who will receive your love are those whom you love in your congregation. If they don't receive it, everything is outside of that, you work it out with God. Because God says to a Christian church abound in love. Not so much that you can abound in love for the sake of abounding in love, abounding in love with one another. Biblical love is not only from above, and it's not only active, brothers and sisters. It's sacrificial. Biblical love is sacrificial. The agape love is a sacrificial love. I'm crying out to you that you would understand what it means to sacrificially love somebody that you are reminded of Jesus Christ himself. And I'm going to read you a passage so that you would know what does it mean in chapter 13 of John to love sacrificially. John chapter 13. Bear with me while I turn there. John 13, speaking of Jesus, please, if you hear anything in his sermon, let it be this. In verse 12, so when he washed his their feet, Jesus washed the disciples' feet and taken up his garments and reclined at the table and he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If then I, the Lord and teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash, wash each other's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is no greater than a master, nor is the one sent greater than the one who sent him. Verse chapter 15, if you turn there while you're there, in verse 12 and 13, what does Jesus say in John? This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I loved you. Jesus revealed that love when he washed the apostles' feet, and then he says, go and do likewise because you're no greater than me. And verse 13, greater love has no one than this that he will lay down his life for his friend. Brothers and sisters, the love that comes from heaven, that dwells inside a Christian and is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, it is also sacrificial. It's not run by emotion. You do not pick and choose whom to love. Jesus died for you whilst you were a sinner. He did not see any any goodness in you and any loving thing in you. No, but he laid down his life and there is no greater love than any man than this that he will lay down his life for the brethren. That's love. And according to our beloved apostle, this love grows. It's meant to be growing. This means we are meant to grow in revealing to one another the work of God in our lives. We are meant to reflect the love of Christ in our lives in becoming what? Selfless. You don't just come and receive and receive, I want, I want, I want. No, Jesus told the apostles in the book of Acts, it is better to give than to receive. 
And Christ still gives. To this very day, you're only alive because Christ is keeping you alive. Amen? You're only here today because God is keeping you here. How selfish can we be? We run with emotions. We get focused on the world. We want what other people want. And we say, chief, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Well, let's do that. Let's live for the glory of God. And in case we didn't understand the Apostle Paul, look with me again in verse 9, and he says, And this I pray that your love will abound in greatness, still more and more in real knowledge and discernment. Did you get that? The love of Christ is not, oh, I feel, oh. It comes to real knowledge. It is produced by the Spirit of God and it is reflected in action through the Scriptures. Scriptures reveal to us how to love. And the Spirit of God moves us in action to love, in real knowledge. How can the Philippians know how to grow? The knowledge of God. And from that knowledge, they are convicted, and it says, with all discernment. And from that discernment, from the knowledge of God, from what I see, the love of Jesus Christ, it compels me. To love someone else, it compels me to give it away. Love is not supposed to be a fuzzy feeling between you and Jesus. It's not. It's supposed to be God moving you to love others. No one can claim that they love unless that love is grounded in biblical truth. Jesus says, Father, sanctify them in, the tr- in your word because your word is truth. True, genuine, biblical love comes from God above through His Word. And anyone who devotes themselves to the truth of Scripture, to the truth of the Word of God, and come under that knowledge of God, he will begin to love. True knowledge of love is revealed in your obedience. Did you get that? Jesus said, if you love me, right, you will keep my commandment. In other words, if I love Christ, if Christ dwells in me, if I am truly born again and I have the Spirit of God, what is the result? I will keep his commandments. What's his commandments? Love one another. How? The way I loved you. That's the, that's the result. Jesus also said, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I loved you. He who has my commandments and keeps them in John 14, 21, this one here, Jesus said, he loves me. If you keep my commandments, Jesus said, and abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. We often think somehow Because we're saved by grace, obedience doesn't fit anywhere. That's from the devil. If you love Christ, you will love to obey him. If you love Christ, you will love to follow in his footsteps. Why is it that we say, God, make me more like Jesus, except make my path different than Jesus? No, if I want to follow Christ, then I need to follow his loving pattern in his life. If I say I'm born again and love does not come out of me in truth and in discernment, then I have been lied to, I have been deceived, and the devil's having a feast. If there is no love in your life, why is there Christ mentioned on your lips? If you do not love according to Scripture, what makes you think that you're actually a Christian? And so Paul is saying to these Christians who are full of love already, you grow in that love. And by the way, in 1 Corinthians, right, we read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Here's what Paul says, the same author. God is the author, but the, the, the earthly writer, he wrote this. This is the, this is the chapter of love. 
chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, he says, if I speak, now speaking to the Corinthian church who was misusing the gifts, and he says, if I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I have become noisy, gong, and clanging cymbal. La, 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 noisy, 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 because you've got no love. Verse, then he, carry, he goes on to say, verse 2, if I have the gifts of prophecy and all the mystery and all the knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove the mountains, but do not love, I am nothing. Verse 3, and if I give away all my possession and feed the poor, God bless Mother Teresa, right? If I have give away all my possession and feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned and do not love, it profits me nothing. Love means everything in Christianity. If there is no love, don't even try to work out that you have peace and kindness and joy. Because if you don't have love, all the rest of it cannot possibly fit in your life. Work that out. And Paul is focusing here and he's saying the first thing we need to look at, this is what he's praying for, that your love will grow in truth and discernment. What a prayer, right? If you take anything on top of what I said before, a second thing, please pray for me this way, that my love for you, brethren, will grow all the more, that I will be a living sacrifice to you, that I will be a doormat for you, that you will walk all over me. I do not care as Christ is my witness as long as he's glorified in me. We are called to glorify God. We're called to glorify God. <sighs> Paul moves on. Read with me, please, chapter, uh, back to Philippians in verse, chapter 1, verse 10. Paul now moves on and says, So that, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until when? The day of Christ. He's laid down his foundation about love, and now he continues with his two-purpose statement, so that you may approve what is excellent in order to be blameless, to be sincere. From that love that grows in a Christian, from the knowledge and the wisdom that you gain, Paul says, this is why. Don't even stop there. Don't say, yep, got this. Uh, knowledge, yeah, I read the Bible, I got this. No, 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 no. He's saying from all of that, so that you can approve the things that are excellent. In other words, for you to live a more excellent way. And through the truth that will be revealed in scriptures, you will know how to love in a better way, how to put others above yourselves, how to know how to live holy. How can I know how to live holy unless I get to know the Holy One of God? Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. One of the most, this is off notes, misconception that goes around and around and around. So I love Jesus and Jesus knows my heart. If your heart's not right with Jesus, he's not happy with your heart. And the only way for your heart to continuously change if you're born again is to know the scriptures, is to know God. There is no other way for you to grow. And when you're growing in that, Paul then says, so that you can approve what is excellent. The word excellent speaks about respect, how you can live more respectfully. You know, and Paul says, for instance, rude jokes. And crude jokings shouldn't be named. I know some Christians have no problem having crude jokings when they speak. How do I know to excel and be more respectful? Well, this is what Paul is saying. This word means worth. So that you may know 
worth. What does that mean? How to live worthy of Christ. It speaks of value. It speaks of greater importance for me to live for Jesus Christ respectfully and wholly according to the calling. If a believer is living in the will of God under Christ's control, and his love that dwells in him and his desires to glorify God, the Spirit of God who lives in him will move him to an understanding how to do things better, how to become a better Christian. It sounds weird, yeah? Whoa. No, we are called to become better Christians. We really are, according to Paul and many other passages. And this word here, by the way, it means to put to the test. Did you get that? To examine, to see its quality. That word was used to actually see if coins were genuine and pure. Paul is saying so that you may examine and prove and study carefully and analyze how you are to be more excellent in your life. This word was used for for the deacons when they chose the deacons. And it says these men must be tested. They must be approved. They must be examined. Paul used this word in 1 Corinthians. You know when? When he says this. After Paul wrote, by the way, two letters and two that are lost, he wrote this at the end, near the end of 2 Corinthians, to a church who is mixed up in adultery, mixed up in fornication, uh, 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 a father who is... A son who's having sex with his mother, it's just disgusting. Paul says, test yourselves. Examine if you are in the faith. That's the same word. You're meant to examine your life. How? In accordance to Scripture. You're meant to study your life under the microscope of the Scriptures. And you see what is going on. How am I living? How can I excel to live a more holy and godly and loving life? Paul is saying, put yourselves underneath here and see how you're going. I'll remind you again, Paul is talking, brothers and sisters, to active Christians already. I want you to keep that in mind when I come to the application because he's authentic talking to those who are already alive and well in the church. They are not lazy and they are not um, walking away from scriptures. They're, they're in the gospel, they love the gospel, and they love to serve. And Paul is calling this church then to even grow in their focus for Jesus Christ. Lift up your eyes, examine what's happening, don't be content where you're at and move forward. And if this church then will become more and more like Christ, then all the more Christ is glorified. And we need to study the scriptures. We don't hear much about put to practice righteousness. You are called to practice righteousness. You are called to live holy for Christ. Search the scriptures and see what the will of God is in your life. Be diligent. If anyone does not know how to live more excellent, if anyone does not know how to grow, or why is it that I must grow, or have no discernment whatsoever, and he says, examine, why? There's there's an issue there. We are called to move from drinking milk and to eating meat. We are meant to grow. If my son, who's only... 15, and he's taller than me now, it'd be kind of weird if he still spoke like a two-year-old, right? He grew up, his body grew, and his mind is growing with it. Sometimes in the body of Christ, people will grow in knowledge, but their heart stays the same. We're meant to move, brothers and sisters. We're not meant to stay the same. We're not, we're not meant to stay babies. We're not meant to be bench warmers. Last one in, first one out. We're not meant to do that. We're meant to grow and see what is excellent in in Christ. And then Paul continues, brothers. Look at verse 10 again with me 
in Philippians so that you may prove what is excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. And now we look at purity. Paul is, called, um, Paul is praying for the church to be pure. The umbrella, everything that sits under love and you're growing. But now he says, so that you can be pure, sincere. And the word there, sincere, speaks of one who has pure motives. No hidden agenda. Without spot and without blemish. He's pure heart. He's not mixed half heart for Jesus and half heart for someone else. He's pure without blemish. That word speaks of being whole. And Paul is saying that you may be sincere, whole. This word describes wholeness. By the way, this word was used to test pottery, right? Because there were people who would sell pottery with cracks in it. They'll put wax over it, and then after they put wax, they'll paint it. And what they used to do to see if that pottery had a crack in it, they would put it under sunlight, and the sunlight would expose the crack. Why is Paul saying this then? Let's remember, brothers and sisters, when I say Paul is inspired by God, in other words, I'm saying, why did God allow Paul to use this word? I'll tell you why. Because God wants us not only to put our lives under the microscopic word of God so that we can know how to live excellent in a better way, in a more excellent way, but also that we can see the cracks in our lives. Do you understand what that means? The flaws. Because the pottery had a flaw in it and a crack in it and it was not right. And Paul is calling the believers to do likewise so that we can examine what cracks, what wrongs are in my life so that I can stand pure in the word of truth. This is calling us not to become hypocrites, but to be truthful in our walk with God. Such a saint, Paul is saying, it's not a saint that hides anything. His desire is that God will expose his flaws so that he will be blameless. His desire is that God will sanctify him and that his heart becomes purer and purer and purer so that he can be blameless. You put this person who desires to know what is his flaws, God will reveal it to him and he will become blameless. You don't hide your flaws of hypocrisy. And Paul is praying here that there will be no character in us, in them, that is full of hypocrisy. You come to church on a Sunday, you're one person, you look like a Christian, talk like a Christian, smell like a Christian. I don't know if that's a thing. But then you walk out and there is no Christianity in you whatsoever. You're one person one day and another the next. If we are going to be schizos, then let us be schizos for Christ. Let me explain to you what I mean. That means fight your flesh. You fight your sinful nature. You don't become schizo and love Jesus and the world. That's hypocrisy. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. I won't go through the rest of the verses. I don't have time for it. But he says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. How can someone... Know if they've been hypocritical or not. Don't be mixed. Don't be mixed with the world. Don't be mixed with the world. Don't have one foot in heaven and the other in hell. And Paul then extends this and he adds to purity blameless. And that means without stumbling. Also that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless. 
This talks about a person who does not not only stumble himself, he doesn't cause anyone else to stumble. Being blameless, you won't hear this much in churches, it is a pursuit of holiness. Piety, you are called to be blameless in this crooked and perverse generation. You're meant to stand out. This is a person who draws to Christ. He wants to serve his holy Christ. And just as Jesus is holy, his desire is to be holy like Jesus. And he pursues holiness. Being blameless is to practice righteousness. Aiming for the sky. Aiming for Christ. I want to be innocent. I want Jesus to look down on me as he looked upon Job and says, Blameless and upright is he, a man who fears evil. And God was pleased with him. God was pleased with Job. Why? Because Job was perfect? No. Because Job made it his aim in life to walk a blameless life. Why is this important? Why is this crucial for us to grow? Why do we need to hear this prayer? And why is Ralph so excited? Why? I'll tell you why. So that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be blameless. How long for? Until Christ. Until Jesus takes you home, whether by death or by rapture. There is here no believer that ought to say, well, no, that's not applied to me. No, he's talking to every believer that you ought to be like this until Jesus Christ takes you home. I mean, we thank the Lord, as we saw last time in verse 6, I am confident of this very thing. He that began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. Well, of course, because until Christ comes back, you're meant to live a holy life for him. Paul is saying here, live this way until Jesus comes back. Live pure. Live holy. Increase in your love. Do you see that? Increase in your love. This is a call, brothers and sisters, for those of you who are already running the race. It's a call to run the race. It is a call to stand firm in the faith until Christ returns. And when Christ returns, he will reward accordingly. It's not an option here in prayer. Verse 9 says, And this I pray that your love, your, the word is plural. For those of you who don't understand that, it means all. It's for everyone. Every single one of us are called to do this who are claiming the name of Christ. Let's move on to the next aspect. In verse 11, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ. Paul has now been praying at the end of this prayer, basically saying everything that we do, your love that's the priority and the epitome of your Christian walk, Learning the scriptures, walking holy, being sincere, and being blameless. It is the fruit of righteousness which comes from Jesus Christ. Did you get that? In other words, all the works and all the things that you produce in your life, love, being excellent and pure and righteous, has been imputed to you by Christ at the day of your salvation, and because that's been imputed to you, that will come out of you. That's what this is saying. He made him who knew no sin to become what? Sin on our behalf, so that we can become the righteousness of God. I, I'm concerned where people don't take it seriously to be righteous and to be holy. I have a holy concern. 
for people who do not walk the way God calls them to walk, that they are not born again. Because God says. Not because I say. Because God says. The fruit that comes from Christ Jesus himself, it is a fruit that is regenerated in the believer, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes from Christ, and that means every believer will produce it. Some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. It doesn't say some 30, some 60, some 100-fold, and some none. And some are just ticking in the box. It does not. It's an increase. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. If you're born again, God created works before the foundation of the world that you should walk in them. And if you're a Christian, you will walk in them. The word they're filled, by the way, that you be filled, having been filled with the righteousness of God is a perfect passive participle, which means absolutely nothing to you. But let me explain to you what that means. Okay? Just being smart, you know, learn some Greek. Because I went to college. But it means a lot. These kind of words are this. It means it's passive. That means it's done onto you. But because it's perfect, it means it was done onto you. And the effects of that are revealed in the present time. Did you get that? That means the righteousness that Jesus Christ imputed in you, the effect of the righteousness are revealed right now. And he's talking to Christians who have been there for 10 years. In other words, he's saying that righteousness that God imputed in you is at work in you to this very minute, and I can see it. You see that? We don't get that in the English, but in the Greek, that's exactly what he's saying, that it's, that salvation has come to you through Jesus Christ because he gave it to you. It's active right here and right now. In actual fact, it's active and it's continuously active. It's not just active for a little while, you switch it off and you go to bed. This is continuously active. There is a reason why Jesus says, I am divine and you are the branches, and he who abides in me, he bears much fruit. He bears much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Really quickly want to say this to you so we don't get confused. Jesus is the root of The vine, right? Fruit is the result. So we don't get confused that if I do some of this stuff, I am a Christian. No. Jesus Christ must be planted first in you. That means you need to repent and you need to be born again. Or else you've skipped Christ and you're trying to do good deeds. If your love for Christ and desires for him and to love the brethren are not growing brother or sister or friend or cousin. Listen to me. Christ, perhaps, he is not dwelling in you. And you need to examine where you really stand. You need to really examine, am I truly born again if I cannot love the brethren? Am I truly born again if I say I love Jesus and it's just between me and Jesus? It is unscriptural because that fruit of God will be manifested in your life. Why? Because he that began the good work in you will bring it to completion. And let me let me just give you a little bit of this fruit that Paul is talking about in Galatians. The fruit of the Spirit is love. We just talked about love, right? And so that fruit comes out of you is love. You love people. You love Christ and you love the bride of Christ. Did you get that? It'd be kind of weird if we don't get to know one another and say, hey, I'll see you in heaven. And we've been together for 30 years. And we get there at the supper of the Lamb. And there is Alex being with me for 48 years. I'm, 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 I'm prophesying I'm going to leave 100, by the way. Somewhere around there. And we sit there at the table, the Lamb, and Jesus says, "Uh, Ralph, do you know Alex? Yeah, we went to the same church. Tell me something about Alex. Um, He has a beard and he's got glasses and he's married to Leah. Right. So how did you love Alex? Um, I preached to Alex. I uh, said good morning to Alex every Sunday. 
I mean, I, I mean I, Jesus, I'm very religious. Do you understand what I'm getting at? The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy. Man, I get depressed watching Christians that are depressed. I just, I, I just don't get it. I am not talking about let's walk around. No. But you have a joy of Christ that lives inside of you. And you're meant to manifest that joy. Peace. We're not talking about peace like the monks who go on a mountain and sit there with Mickey Mouse as their friend. Right? We're not talking about that peace. We're saying an internal peace that is revealed unto others in peace. Patience. Oh, that's a big one. You know, through the Spirit is patience. Well, we'll skip that, yeah? Well, of course we can't skip that. That's the fruit of righteousness. We need to grow in our patience for one another. That would mean this. Love the unlovable in your church. Love me. I'm the unlovable one, okay? I'll throw myself under the bus. Patience. Kindness. That means you're tender. And goodness. That means you do what is right. Faithful. That means you're trustworthy, gentle. That means you're meek and you're considerate and you're humble and you are willing to listen to others. Self-control. These are the, the, the fruit of the Spirit. One fruit, just expounded. Against such things there is no law, God says. Paul is praying that the Lord who had saved these people, they will bring forth more fruit. And more fruit. But here's where it comes to the punchline, brothers and sisters. Why I quoted Isaiah at the beginning. Please look at verse 11. Because this love is the priority in your Christian life. But this must be your fuel. Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Did you get that? That is supposed to be your pinnacle of everything in your life, in your prayer. And everything you do, you must do for the glory of God and to praise to Him that He will receive due to His name. The ultimate concern for Paul was not I'm praying for you, brethren. I love you so much. I want you to grow in knowledge and discernment. And you know what is excellent. And you know what is pure. And you do this until Jesus Christ for the sake of doing it. No, we did not. It says you do all these things because these things will bring glory and praises to the one that you love. God the Father drew you. God the Son saved you, and God the Spirit moves you to glorify a holy God. Paul understood exactly what it meant when he wrote this, what it means to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. I want to explain that to you because that's supposed to be your fuel, our fuel. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Sometimes God bless the, you know, the catechism, but you can separate these two things. You can think enjoying Jesus forever means enjoying Him when you get there, right? You can separate them, but they are not meant to be separated according to Scripture. I want to bring glory to God, and I pray that that's what your aim. It is because you are enjoying. Christ in your life. Paul says, whether we eat or drink and whatever we do, do all for the glory of God. There can be no greater motivation in a prayer to receive from Paul than to remind these people to live for the glory and the praises of God. Right? When's the last time that you prayed like that? I want to, Jesus said, my father is glorified in this, that you will bear much fruit and prove, by the way, to be my disciples. I want to quote you a man 
named Thomas Brooks. He said this, The aim of obedient, the obedient soul in prayer and praise, in talking and walking, in giving and receiving, in living and doing, is for divine glory. Paul is praying for this church to grow in love that they will bring glory and praise to God. Growing in the knowledge of Christ is meant to lead you to give him glory and praises. If you do anything with excellence and sincere and you're blameless, you're meant to do all these things because you want to glorify God in your life and praise him. So let me give you a little bit of an application. I don't know if I've gone over time. I don't have a watch for a reason. <sighs> Not that we have time here, do we? We don't really have time saving grace. Sometimes we're going to five in the afternoon, don't we? No. We should. Paul prayed for the church to grow in their love, which they already showed. Here's my question, because these are all questions for you. Do you show this love? If you belong to Saving Grace Bible Church and you said, I want to be a member and you've been baptized and you say, I want to live and love and be loved, do you show this love? Two, when you pray, what is your prayer like for the church? What do you pray for? What should you pray for in a spiritual sense that we may grow? According to Paul. We ought to pray that God is glorified in our bodies together, right? Paul is encouraging these believers who already love. I told you I'll come back to this. Paul is encouraging these believers who are alive and active and working out their salvation with fear and trembling. I want to ask you, then, if there is any of you amongst us who is not active, who is always passive, and sitting in the background, then how should you read this prayer? If Paul is speaking to people who are in fellowship with him, moving for the gospel, serving one another, loving one another for the past 10 years, and then he says, grow up even more, and you who are passive and come week in and week out and do nothing, how should you read this text? It's a challenge, right? That will be an indictment to you, according to the scriptures. We are called to grow. Then let me ask you, are your affections of love for Christ growing? And if you are growing your affections for Jesus Christ, who is actually reaping the benefits? Who is re receiving that glove? I want to share something with you, brothers, that I thank the Lord for this COVID. I'll say it again. Because God has really revealed those who really love him to me. Someone rang me. You know, I've been a bit sick. We won't say why, because we're on camera. And someone rang me. I tell, hey, brother, how's it going? Good. How can I love you? How can I serve you? I said, pray for me. Pray to God will give me strength and I will glorify him here. Him in my sickness. Praise God. No worries. So how can I actively love you? Did you understand that? Yes, I'm doing that already, brother. But now I want to serve you actively. What do I need to do for you? And by the way, this brother who rang me and said this, he was sicker than what I was. Let us be reminded. That true biblical love, it is not self-seeking and self-exalting, but it's humble and always seeking the best interest of others, not self. That's the love that Paul is praying for here. Then let me ask you a question. Are you examining your life that you may grow in excellence or are you just, okay, I'm fine. There's not much sin in my life. I don't do anything. No. Brother and sister, we are called to examine. We are called to examine. What, how else can I excel in this? Or what flaws are there in my life that I need to deal with? Then let me ask you a question. 
What is your priority in life? What is your ultimate goal? Bigger house, better job, games, clothes, shoes, bikes, glasses, shirts. What is it? We are called to glorify God in our lives. Your ultimate goal in your life, according to Scripture, it is to lay down your life for the brethren that Christ will be manifested in you. Are you living with purity of mind or hypocrisy? Are you trying to hide your flaws just by ticking the box? You come Sunday, you come sometimes, just tick the box. You do the Christian thing and no one sees it. You look like the same pottery as everyone else and yet it's hidden by a whole bunch of wax. There's all hidden cracks in your life. Are you trying to hide it? I want to share with you, nothing is hidden from God. (laughs) It's Him you have to give an account to, not me. And He sees the depth of your heart. Brothers and sisters, we are called to pursue holiness, for without it, we cannot see the Lord. Are you pursuing holiness? Are you ready for Christ to return? I want to really talk to you now. This is for you, brothers and sisters, but for those of you who may think you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, how did this apply to you? So, yeah, I've done that, I'll do this, I'll do this. I want to ask you, do you love Christ? Do you love Jesus? Have you come to the end of yourself where you say to Jesus, take me, take my life? Because maybe all the other fruits that are not coming out of your life, it is because Jesus is not your vine. And you're just trying to stick fruit on a tree in which you do not belong to. Come to Christ. Gospel is simple. Jesus died and you need him. You're a sinner and he's righteous. God alone, right, brothers and sisters, is worthy of worship. And he says he will not share that glory with anyone else. Please, brothers and sisters, don't live a hypocritical life and just give Jesus dribs and drabs whenever you feel like it. Jesus deserves all the glory. Let me leave you with this quote. And by the way, We're meant to prepare ourselves for Christ, right? I mean, if we love Jesus, don't you want to be with him? (laughs) And if I want to be with Jesus, shouldn't we be eagerly awaiting for him? And if we're eagerly awaiting for him, sure, I eat the burger and I have this and I have clothes, but these are only things to help me to stay more focused on Christ. They are there. Here's my destination. These are just me going there. It's okay to have a good shirt. It's okay to have good shoes. But if these are your drive in your life, I will examine. Please examine yourself. You are called to examine if you truly are in the faith. Hendrickson, a Bible scholar or commentator, he said this, the whole life must be a preparation for the great day. For it is then that the true character of every man's life will be revealed and everyone will be judged according to his work. I pray that Christ spoke to you, that you would hear his word, that you would not have wax in your ears, that God will remove the wax from your ears and put a fire in your ears that goes to your soul. It's useless and pointless for you to come week in and week out in these sermons that Christ expects you to move forward and you're not moving. I want to encourage you, come to Christ and repent of your laziness, your unfaithfulness and your love of everything else and glorifying everything else but Christ. Father, we come before you, Lord. You're such a great king. 
You are a great God. You're worthy of honor and glory and worship. And we come before you, Lord, and we are laying our faces to the ground and we say, Lord, help us to grow and loving one another that Christ will be magnified and manifested in our lives. Oh, Lord, how selfish can we be when Christ will lay down a life for us and we say we lay our lives down for nobody? That we want to be loved and give no love in return. We want to be served and serve no one else but ourselves. Oh, Father God, we do not want our name only to be great in heaven. Oh, Lord, we want our name to be great in hell. That these people love Christ and live Christ and adore Christ and glorify Christ. But may our names not be up in lights as if they hell and all the demons are having a party because we are useless for your kingdom. May that never be, God. May we look at your word and truth and say we want to grow, Father, in, in sincerity, Lord God, and be blameless and pure until Christ come, comes back. Help us to glorify you, God, at the cares and, and the riches of this world will not confuse us and we be mixed Christians. Please, God, we beg of you for those who actually do not know you, Father God. Oh, Lord, I pray that your word will go out with mighty power and will not come back to you void and break that stony heart, Father. Break the heart of hypocrisy, Lord, and tear it out and give them a heart of flesh that for the first time they will see Christ and hear Christ and live Christ, and love Christ. So we thank you for your word, and we pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.